Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the rest that we've had. Thank you for the food in our stomachs. I pray that you'd please continue to be with us now as we open the Bible to study. And I pray that as we look at the book of Romans, that you would help us to understand what is written there and help us to see the harmony of what you're teaching to us from these chapters. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 7. If this is the first time you're studying Romans chapter 7 and 8, the reason why I like to go through this is because there are many that teach out there that Romans 7 teaches us that it's okay to continue to sin and still go to heaven, okay? And let me show you. We'll, we'll start at the very end, and then we will come to the front to help us to understand this, okay? But basically, Romans is... Romans chapter 7 is giving us this little allegory of <clears throat> how the law of God and the obedience to it, of course, harmonizes with our saved condition or righteous condition. But many people say, look, this is Paul writing when he was converted. Verse 24. Let's start in Romans 7, verse 24, okay? The Bible says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So who is the one that delivers us? Jesus Christ our Lord. But then it says what? So then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So in my mind I love God, but you know what? I still can't stop sinning. And people say, oh, this is Paul written in his converted state. So if Paul said it's okay to continue sinning, then it's okay for us. You see? So what I want to go through is this chapter as quick as I can, and then we're going to try to go through some of chapter 8 until we get to the point where we are clear with our answer. Yeah? So let's start in verse 1, okay? Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he what? Liveth. So do you think thou shalt not kill applies to a dead man? No, right? Why? He's dead? Okay. I, I know, that part's obvious, but why? <laughs> they can't do anything, right? So they, even if they tried, I mean, if you can't, you know, even if they tried, they can't break the law, right? It's impossible. They just can't do anything. So the law only has dominion, or could I say, it only applies to a person when they are alive, okay? Verse 2. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he, what? Liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her, her husband, okay? So, a woman, usually people call this the man of Romans 7, but I like to call it the woman of Romans 7, is bound to the law of her husband, right? 
as long as he is what? Alive. This law is nullified, it's gone, when what happens? When he's dead, okay? Is that clear so far? All right. So then, verse 3. So then, if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, okay? She shall be called what? An adulteress. But if her husband, who's her husband? The one on the right. Is dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Okay? If he's alive and she goes off with him, she's what? But if he dies and she goes off with him, she's what? She's innocent. She's free. Yeah? So, verse 4, you see that word wherefore? It makes a conclusion. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Now listen carefully. Not listen. Read carefully. Look at verse 4, and I want you from this text to tell me these following questions. Answer these following questions. Who is the woman? Us. It's us. Okay, I know you've got to get your head out of prophecy. Okay? A woman in the Bible represents a church. But that's not what Romans 7 is talking about. The woman represents us. Okay? You and me, all of us, right? Oh, very good. So this is Christ. Do you all agree with him? Uh, no, 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 no. Stay in verse 4. You tell me why this is Christ. Do, is it? Or is this Christ? You pointed, but I don't know where you were pointing. Left or right? Who says right? Nobody? Are you sure? Okay. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. Who's another? The left or the right? The left. You should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead. Who's that? Okay. Now you can say it all in harmony. Okay? So, Jesus is this guy. That's us. Question. Who's this? That's the law. (laughs) It's not so clear yet. Okay? Verse 5. Okay, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruits unto death. Okay? What brings death in the Bible? Sin, right? Now, what is sin? Tell me. Transgression of the law. So, 
What law are we breaking here? Tell me. Huh? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Adultery, right? So why? Why are we committing adultery here? You're married with somebody, but... But you want to be married to... Who's this? Jesus, right? You know, many people commit spiritual adultery. They want to be married to this man, but they want to be married to also this man too. Okay? But in verse 5, when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work on our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Why? Why? Because we were breaking this law that we shouldn't be breaking. He's our old husband, but what is this called? It's the motions of... of sin. Do you see that? I think I just lost half of you. You look confused. Okay, let's go backtrack a bit. (laughs) Verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. Look, in order to marry Jesus, what must happen to this guy? He must die. Okay? He cannot be alive and we go with Jesus, right? This person must die. Wherefore, my brethren, verse 4, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So how do we become dead to this law? Who helps us? Jesus. Okay? Are you guys with me? Now, there are two ways to become dead to this law. This law, not dead, not, not, not die, this person, right? There are two ways to make this law of none effect. Number one, get rid of the law. No such law exists anymore, okay? Number two, kill him. Do you see that? I know, we'll get there, don't worry. We'll get there. So do you understand my, my, my logic so far? There's two ways to make this law of no effect. Number one, you destroy the law. Number two, we kill him. Which option are we looking at so far? What, 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 which option was it? You have to kill him, right? But you see, many Christians, many Christians, because this is the Ten Commandments in a, in a sense, right? Many Christians, they don't like to kill him. They like to get rid of the law. Do you see that? So, in verse 4, it says, Wherefore, my brethren, you also become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that we should be married to another. For when we were in the flesh, verse 5, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. What brought fruit unto death? The motions of sin. The is another name. The flesh. Okay? Verse 6. But now we are delivered from the law. We are delivered from what? The law. law. 
Now question, is this law good? Yeah, we all agree? This law is good. But in verse 6 says, Now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held. What died? Something that held us. Do you see that? Being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in the newness of spirits and not in the oldness of the letter. And just in case for a minute you think the law is bad, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Of course not. God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin except by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But now, verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, sin, taking occasion by the commandment, did what? Wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was what? Dead. Do you see that? Does any, this is where we need a concordance. Does anybody have a concordance? Oh, my phone is not on me. Not, oh, could you? Desire, craving, longing, desire for what is forbidden. Oh, lust. Desire for what is forbidden. Okay? So, by sin taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust. Why? Because we wanted this, but we can't. You know why? What's the problem? He is still alive. So, that's why Paul asked the question, is the law sin? Is it bad? No. But what was the problem? Sin took occasion by the commandment. So sin took advantage of the law. In what way? It wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Now look at this. Verse 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So one, one time, I was alive. I had two husbands and I was happy. But when the law came in and says, thou shalt not commit adultery, <gasps> sin revived, boom, because of the law. And I what? I died. <clears throat> what is this? Who is this first husband that must die? Adam? Adam? No. <laughs> it's the motions of sin, the flesh. What people don't realize, although Paul is using people, and these two represent people in a sense, this is also us. It's not Satan. It's us. It's our desire for sin. And what Paul is trying to say is, you can't be married to this desires for sin, and the flesh, the motions of sin, and also be married to Christ. That is... Do you get it? The law forbids it. He's using this illustration to show you the goodness of the law and not why it's bad. Because you see, many people's argument is, look, if, if the law is bad, then we should just get rid of the law, right? 
And that's why he's saying, before, for I was alive, verse 9, for I was alive without the law once. Without the law. No law? I was alive. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. <laughs> there are some here, maybe you never were grown up in a Christian home and you don't even know about the Sabbath. I was like, yeah, I could break the Sabbath. I could go out and do whatever I could on the Sabbath. I didn't know what it was. But then the, I saw the commandment and it killed me. Boom. <laughs> so should we get rid of the law? No. What do we need to do? Let's keep going. Verse 10. For, and, the, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be death. You see, he's trying to say, you know what? The commandment is actually very good. It's for life. But it became death. Why? Do you like the law in this land where it says, thou shalt not kill? Is that good for you? Does it give you life? In what way? How does it give you life? Protection. Right? How does this law, thou shalt not kill, cause death? Ah, if you are guilty of breaking this law, right? You'll be condemned to death like a murderer. So look, and the commandment which was ordained for life, I found it to be death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. You know, when this guy... He sees you run off with Jesus, he gets jealous. So he goes to the authorities and he tells on you. And he says, you see this law here? She's still married to me, but she's gone off with him. She deserves to die. She uses the law, he uses the law against her and gets her killed instead. This is our actual life. Breathing life, us, you, me, every one of us. This is what's in us, the motions of sin, the flesh. Do you see that? Let's keep going. Verse 12, wherefore the law is holy, the commandment holy and just and good. He reaffirms it. There's nothing wrong with the law. You see that? Verse 13, was then which is good made death unto me? What was good? Tell me, what was good? The law. What Was then this which is good made death to me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandments might become exceeding sinful. So this person took a hold of the law and used that law, which was going to be good, and used it to kill me. In other words, you know what we're seeing here? Who kills who first? <laughs> right? He takes the law and kills us. How does this guy get killed? We've already seen this in this chapter already. Hmm? Who kills him? Mm -mm. Mm. In verse 4, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by who? 
How do we become dead to this law? We have to kill him, right? Who kills him? Jesus Christ. Okay? It's either, it's a matter of who kills who first. <laughs> okay? He will take the law and he'll slay us with it. Or we have to ask Jesus to come and kill this person. And who is this person? The flesh, the motions of sin. Only Jesus can help us. We can't help ourselves. Why? I mean, look, if we're taking it from a human perspective, really, yeah, he'll be kind of a murderer as well, right? But we can't do it. Why? Because we're bound by the, the law. Do you see that? We're bound by the law. Any questions so far about this? Is it clear? Okay. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am what? Carnal, sold under sin. Another word for flesh and motions of sin? Carnal. We're sold under sin. You know, this is talking about the dilemma of a Christian. That's us, who wants Jesus, but who also wants the carnal mind, sin, the flesh, the motions of sin. Do you see that? Verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For that what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. Are you guys confused? No? Clear? So, we know what is right, but we don't do it. We know what is wrong, we continue to do it. Why? Because we're sold under sin. As long as this guy is alive, no matter how powerful Jesus is, in terms of us running off with him, the law still manages to catch up with us and kill us. Verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is what? Good. So when I do that, which I don't, when I say I shouldn't be doing, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying the law is good. You know why? Because in here, I know it. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. You know it's wrong. Are you with me? If people didn't know it was wrong, like for example, if a murderer, right? He didn't know that murdering was wrong. Then why'd you run? Why didn't you carry on life as normal? <laughs> you know what I mean? We know what we should do, but we don't do it. And what we know we shouldn't do, we do it. And by that, we already were condemning ourselves. We know that the law is good. Or else, why is our conscience condemning us? But let's keep going. I want to get to verse six, uh, chapter 8 eventually. Where did I stop? Verse 16, right? Now verse 17. Now then it is no more I that do it, but what? Sin dwelleth in me. You see, this is what we call the old man of sin. Flesh. Carnal mind. You see that? The motions of sin. It's not me doing it. It's this guy in me. And I can't get Jesus' help until, except for the fact that he needs to come and do what? 
particular. Does that make sense? Verse 18, for I know, did I just say, read that one? Okay, sorry. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, and that's not this flesh, okay? Not this flesh. In this flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, that which is good, I find not. Do you see that? We have no, how, how do you say, we have no solution for doing right so long as we have this person alive in us. It's impossible. And many people say this is the dilemma of Paul. He was writing this situation, and yeah, we relate to that, of course. Our flesh, our carnal mind, uh, motions of sin, we relate to this. And so we say, yeah, this is Paul just like me. If he couldn't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> do you see that? And then he repeats himself, verse 19. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more that, no more, no more I that do it, but what? Sin that dwelleth in me. So when I'm doing that which I would not, it's not because Jesus has no power, but it's because this guy is still alive. Do you see that? Folks, as Christians, the only way that we can have victory is we have to first kill that old man of sin, the flesh. Or else you will never be able to do right. And we're going to see how we can do that. Verse 20. Oh, sorry, verse 21. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is what? Present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Do Christians delight in the law of God after the inward man? Yeah, they do. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Do you see that? Constantly, we have this conflict. We, we want to do good, but we can't. We just, our, our taste buds are just not all there. And there's just this battle in our mind constantly, back and forth. Why? Because of this guy. He's still alive. He's still alive. Verse 24. And then that's when he proclaims, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God. Who? Ah, now you know that the only way that we can be delivered from this is through Jesus Christ. But then he says what? So then with the mind, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And then it seems like it's a conclusion. But remember, Chapter 8 follows on from this. This is a solution that we're going to see very clearly now. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Before we continue, are there any questions about chapter 7? Is that clear? This is where we're at so far. We haven't, we haven't gone much further yet. We haven't figured out how to kill this guy except that Jesus has to do it. But what does that mean, right? 
What does that mean? Let's keep going then. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So tell me, where does the condemnation come from? Here. What condemns us? The law, okay? Not sin, it's the law. Okay? There is no condemnation. Hey, does that sound like this guy's dead and you're free now? Kind of, right? If you don't have any condemnation, that means the law is not condemning you. It's still there, but this guy is dead. You're free to marry Jesus. There's no condemnation to them who walk after the flesh. Walk not after the flesh. Sorry, I had to catch myself there. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So if this guy's alive, you're walking after the flesh. Okay? If he's dead, you're walking after the spirit. Okay? So somehow, the key in killing this person is we have to learn to walk after the Spirit. Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. So what made us free? The law of the Spirit of life. In Christ Jesus. What is the law of the spirit of life? We don't know yet. (laughs) So I'm glad you know and answered. So the same as walking... I should really put all the words down. Sorry. Walking after the spirit is the same as the law of... The Spirit. It's just using different words so far, right? The law of sin and death, which was what? It was this one. Because if you break this, you deserve to die, right? So the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, okay? God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So what happened? Jesus came and He killed Him. Do you get that? Are you with me? You've got to stay with me, all right? that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Look, the solution to us is still we have to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. So that the righteousness of the law can be fulfilled in us. You know what that is called? That's called imputed righteousness. Sorry, I shouldn't put it up there because then you think that arrow is pointing to imputed righteousness. 
Christ came to give us imputed righteousness. Why? Because we couldn't do it. So Jesus had to come just like you and me, in the flesh. What does that mean? He had this man existing in him. It doesn't mean it's sin. Are you with me? Until you run off with the other man. Do you see that? He had to kill him. So Christ came and lived the life that he wanted us to live. And then when he lived it, he says, here, take it. It's imputed righteousness. What's imputed righteousness? Justification. None of us could be justified. So Christ lived the perfect life, and he just says, here, take it. Take my life and just replace it with yours. (laughs) Do you get that? We have to walk after the Spirit. Verse 5. For they that are after... We don't know what the Spirit is yet. What does it mean to walk after the Spirit? We don't know that yet, right? Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Same thing still. We still don't know, right? The flesh on one side, the Spirit on the other side. And then it says in verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is what? Life and peace. So you know what? This guy is a carnal mind. (laughs) That's why I know that this first husband is not uh, another person, but it's right here. It's right here. You cannot serve God and have a carnal mind. It's just an impossibility. Impossibility. Verse 7. Why? Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. As long as you have this person alive, you cannot please God. It must be killed. The only way that it can be killed, Jesus Christ. You have to walk in the Spirit. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God, what? What? Dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So give me another, in verse 9 there, give me another phrase that helps us to understand what it means to walk in the Spirit. Okay, the Spirit must dwell in us, right? I'm writing all these things down because they're all the same thing. Walking after the Spirit is the same as the law of the Spirit of life. Okay? Is the same as the Spirit dwelling in us. Do you all agree? It's the same thing, right? I see some of you are getting tired. You had a really good lunch. (laughs) This is important, folks. This is really important. 
Because this is what will give us the key to unlocking um, victory over sin. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of what? Sin. But the spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. So tell me, how can we be righteous? Have this imputed righteousness. What must take place? Verse 10. Ah, Christ in us is the same as the Spirit in us, is the same as the law of the Spirit of life, is the same as walking after the Spirit. So when we have Christ in us, it's the same as the Spirit in us. Now I hate it when I shoot myself in the foot because I taught you this last session. Tell me, just think, think back. Really, last session, just the fifth session that ended before lunch, how can we have Christ in us? The Word of God. The Word is what? The seed. Remember, the seed remains in you and you cannot sin. Do you know what the Word of God is compared to as? It's the sword of the Spirit. What do you use a sword for? Ah. <laughs> Every morning you wake up, this man wakes up with you. Are you with me? And that's why Paul says he has to die how often? And how did he die? What did he have to use? The sword. The Word of God. Do you see that? You were looking through all this fog and finally it makes sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> because in order to kill this person, Jesus to help us because He is the Word. Faith is depending upon what? The Word only. And this is the only way that you can kill the old man of sin. <laughs> the only way. That's how you walk in the Spirit. That's how the Spirit dwells in you. This is how Christ dwells in you. But let me show you, just layer it a little bit more. Come with me to John 15. John chapter 15. How can we have Christ dwell in us? This is a very famous chapter. Maybe you might not have known the reference, but I'm sure you're going to know when I start reading it. John 15, verse 1. Let's start there. I am the vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You know, what is purge? What does it mean to purge? Hey? Cleanse. If if you know, have you seen vines? Like ah, pruning. Okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, you cut more that it may bear more fruit. You know what I call that cutting? I call it like trials in our life. And then you have to exercise more faith. But when you do, guess what? You have more fruit as well. True. Verse three. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken in, unto you. 
Verse 4, abide in me and what? Ah, so look, how can we have Christ dwell in us? We must abide in Him, okay? How do we abide in Him? We don't know yet. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Have you seen any practical way that we can still abide in him yet? Yes or no? Not yet, right? It just seems still subjective. Abide in Christ. Okay. How? Right? We still don't know. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Okay, John, tell us. Still, you're not giving us an answer, right? How do we abide in Christ? You've told us we don't abide in you. It's like cutting us away and throwing us into the fire, right? I don't want that, but he's telling us the fate, the result. Verse 7. If ye abide in me, and what? My words abide in you. Ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Is that practical? How do we abide in Christ? Tell me. His words must abide in us. That is how you kill your first husband, the old man of sin. Have you spent time in the Word of God this morning to kill that old man of sin? If not, let me tell you, as far as the East is from the West, Ellen White says it, not me, right? <laughs> it's an impossibility you're going to be able to keep God's commandments. And it's no, not an accident that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It's the same way that you're going to be able to exercise your faith and grow in faith. This is why many people say they spend time in the Word of God but they still continue to sin. How? Because the Word of God is not abiding, it's not remaining in them. We have to grow as Christians. You know what I mean? Are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in the knowledge of what the Word of God says? If not, you're not growing in faith, right? You might be growing older and as a result it makes you more mellow. I don't know. <laughs> it hasn't made me more mellow. I'm still as hot-tempered as I was 10 years ago. Or I could have been. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't grow out of those things. But are you growing in the knowledge of the Word of God? Or is Daniel and Revelation still a mystery to you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you growing in the knowledge of what Jesus Christ has done in all those parables and in all those uh, encounters that He had with different people? Is the knowledge of the Word of God growing in your life? If not, you cannot grow in faith. 
It's that simple. So when you go back and you've been reading your Bible and you know what? Look, if your devotion is not working for you, change it, right? If it's broken, fix it. (laughs) It's that simple. Whatever you need to do, fix it. Whether you need to memorize scripture. You know, Ellen White says that there are some who will not be able to overcome sin until they memorize scripture. Maybe you need to, I don't know, listen to sermons. I don't know what you need to do. But there's, there's many, many avenues of growing in the Word of God out there. Is the knowledge of the Word of God growing in your life? That's my question. If not, this guy will forever remain alive. And this is why sanctification is work of a lifetime. You go to sleep tonight, you wake up tomorrow, he's back. <laughs> you got to kill him again. <laughs> and you know, people go, well, man, don't you get tired of fighting? Spiritually, okay. I said, no, not if you keep having victory. Right? I would get tired of fighting if every time I went into battle and I lost. <laughs> True? Would you get tired of that? But I tell you, every time you, you go into battle and you win, you can't wait for the next battle. It's like, ah, Jesus Christ, my leader. He will lead us into victory. Bring it on. Right? You don't get tired of fighting that good fight of faith if every single time you have this, Ellen White says, a successive chain of victories. You just grow stronger in faith every day, isn't it? That is what we need to experience as Christians. Victory after victory after victory. But not to the point where you get self-confident. You know, don't, don't, don't go, uh, I have victory today and I didn't even get scarred. I'm taking off this armor. I don't need it anymore. Just my sword. When you start getting arrogant, right? No, you still go in there with apprehension, with carefulness. But at the end of it, you come out with victory still. Right? It's built in your devotion time. And this is where I failed to mention about meditation. You know, this is where we shortchange ourselves when it comes to meditation, okay? You know, when a person plays sport, right? I, I like basketball. So, you know, when you see people play basketball and they... They shoot without the ball, and they're just like, oh, right? What are they imagining? Are they imagining shoot the ball and hit the ring but don't go in? Is that what they imagine? No, what are they imagining? Shoot the ball and what? Go right through. Don't even hit the ring, right? Oh, you know, we play badminton, and you make a smash. It's like, yep, it's going to go right down there, bam, really hard, right? Is that what you imagine? Is that what you imagine? Yeah. Even though you don't know how to play, you still imagine it, right? <laughs> After you look at the TV, you, oh, you get up and you just want to hit like that. It's like, yeah, I'm just like, um, who is the famous badminton player here in Malaysia? Right? Lee Chong Wei, right? So you, you're just imagining, like, that's just like me. Ah, I'm going to go out and play like that. Imagination is like that. But you know when it comes to spiritual imagination, we imagine ourselves to fail all the time. 
Do you know that? Because we've been imagining sin too much. (laughs) And we can taste it and we can feel it. And some people even dream about it. And when some people are praying, they are thinking about their sin. Do you know what I mean? I know this because I experienced it. And that's why you have to just focus on the Word of God. And for some of us, you need to repeat that word in your mind or that verse in your mind so much that you're imagining it. And let me tell you what imagination does, okay? Just imagine, how many of you here are right-handed? You write with your right hand. Raise your hands. Okay, nearly all of us. All right. So if I tell you, look, I'll give you one month. If you can write with your left hand, I'll give you a million ringgit. What would you do? Practice, right? But you have to write exactly like how you write with your right hand, okay? So you write this way, you write this way, you prove to me that you can do it. I'll quit my job, right? I wouldn't do, do anything. I'll just, I'll just start practicing, right? But you know what? You've you got to shower, and you've got to go grocery shopping. You've got to do all the stuff that you need to be done, right? But you know what? When you're walking to the grocery store, you're like, right? What are you doing? You're imagining. <laughs> Are you with me? You want it so bad that, that that's all you can think of. And you know, we have something much more valuable than a million ringgit. We have mansions of gold, streets of gold waiting for us up in heaven. What are you imagining? Are you imagining yourself victorious? That you will inherit heaven? Hey? Are you imagining your life of sin? Because you've been beholding sin. Right? You watch a movie and you see a guy kiss a beautiful girl and you start imagining that. You know what I mean? What is encompassing or how do you say filling your mind that it might guide your life in what you should do? what you should say. And you know what? Biologically, in our brain, this really happens, okay? In our brains, we have these things called dendrites. Have you heard of that? Anyone here taking medicine? Or is, oh, of course I have doctors. In biology. We have these things called dendrites. They're called, there are neuron pathways in our brain. And this is what makes, forms our habits, okay? We have this dendrite, shoelace dendrite, you know? When you're, when you're first a little kid, you have to go left, over, right, under, loop, loop, left, over, right, repeat, right? You have to say that in your mind or even say it out aloud. But you can get to this point where you don't even think about it, right? Can anybody here tie their shoelace and have a conversation at the same time? Yeah, right? That's, that's normal. Is that normal? Do you ever say, hey, don't talk to me? Okay, what will you say? No, right? That's not normal. Why? Because our dendrite, shoelace dendrite is so thick that we do it without thinking about it. You see that? That's what forms our habits. And once these dendrites are formed, they never disappear. They're there forever. Okay? If you don't use it, you'd, I mean, I hardly tie my shoelaces now because I don't have any shoes with laces. <laughs> They're laces, but I just slip them on. Even though you don't do it, it gets smaller, but it never disappears. 
Even though you learn to write perfectly with your left hand, the ability to write with your right hand will always still be there. Do you get it? Just because you haven't committed sin in 10 years, the ability to commit that sin is always still going to be there. That's why sanctification is the work of a lifetime. You can't say you've had victory. Every day is a fresh day to begin again. You see that? But I tell you, there's no greater feeling than to get to the end of the day and you look back and you say, thank you, Lord, for preserving me through this day. I didn't commit that sin. And the next day you get up, God, please help me. (laughs) And claim a verse. You said I could be perfect. I'm going to expect you to do it for me today. Say that. I've been saying that since I learned about it. Do you know that? And I'm going to depend upon your word. It says you be perfect. I can be perfect. You better help me be perfect. Expect it. Amen? And look, as you're going through your Christian journey, you know what happens sometimes? You have a momentary lapse and you pick up your right hand and start writing. You know what happens? Ah, okay, okay. Left hand, left hand, left hand. You know what I mean? Because the desire of that one million ringgit is so much in your mind that even though for a minute you let go, it's like, okay, okay, come back, regroup. Left hand. Do you see that? Forming new habits, forming new thoughts, forming new feelings. This is how the Word of God begins to change us. Can it happen straight away? Yes, it can. But some, as Dr. O was saying earlier in his question, yeah, sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes it takes years. You know? But the Word of God is slowly forming new thoughts and feelings in here. That's what it means to walk after the Spirit. Because ultimately, the Word of God that abides in us will produce action. That is action, walking, walking, walking. You see that? So, I'm hoping more and more you're seeing the importance of the Word of God in our life. The foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ and His Word. That's it, my friends. And I hope that we'll, we'll learn to make this practical in our life. Claim the promises, okay? Even if it sounds like a command. God, you told me thou shalt not kill. Well, you better help me stop killing. Okay? Expect Him to do it. And believe it with all your heart that He will. And then let your imagination imagine an overcoming Insert your name there. An overcoming band. Not one that continues to fall into sin. But now an overcomer. Imagine that. Not to be self-arrogant, but because Christ said you can. Amen? And then we boast in God, not in ourselves. We glory in Him. Yeah? This is what it means to have righteousness by faith, friends. The righteousness that comes by faith. And by faith alone.
which is the Word of God. Yeah? Come, let's close. And then we'll open it up for a bit of Q&A. Father in heaven, thank you for your Word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And most of all, thank you for Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life for us and is willing to exchange that perfect life for our sins. Lord, help us to be willing to surrender it. And Lord, as we spend more time in your word, may it change us. May it reveal to us areas that we must come up higher in as well. And then again, give us the strength to implement those changes once more. So Father, help us every day to put that old man of sin to death, that we might live a justified and a sanctified life in Christ. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.